This episode is brought to you in part by Wholehearted Love, a new book by Caleb and Stephanie Rouse. Overcome the barriers that hold you back in your relationships with God and with others and delight in feeling safe, seen, and loved with Wholehearted Love. For more information, go to Tyndale.com. Anne Steele is one of my favorite hymn writers. When I look at her poetry and the writing that she did, you get this sense that she gives us permission to explore things and to bring all of our sorrows before the Lord, which you first see in the scripture itself, like in the Psalms. But sometimes we forget that that's okay to do in church. And so maybe there's an inclination, there's like a soul shape that we each have. So by personality and even as children, we each have a capacity uniquely to hold different qualities that are part of who God is. And we all need one another to give a full picture, like to be one complete picture of the body of Christ. What do you do when you're in the valley? I don't mean a literal valley. (laughs) I mean those metaphorical valleys in our soul, in our lives, where we find ourselves lost. It feels like we're alone and the way is dark. Well, in this conversation with Sandra McCracken, we talk about valleys. We talk about our limits and what does it look like to abide with God, even in deep darkness. She's honest about some of her own struggles, her sorrows and losses that happened after the dissolution of her own marriage in 2012. And we talk about the psalms and songs and words that have got us through. Listen in to a great conversation with singer-songwriter Sandra McCracken. Welcome to the Finding Holy Podcast. I'm your host, Ashley Hales, author of A Spacious Life. I love big ideas, but ideas have to move beyond an ivory tower to find their application in the midst of our work and our laundry routines. Here on the Finding Holy Podcast, expect conversations about how to live faithfully in a post-Christian world, but without the vitriol, posturing, or shouting across the aisles. In each conversation, you'll get to hear my guests' wisdom, their laundry routine, and for this season, also their hustle habit. Let's find holy together. All right, friends, I'm really excited to welcome Sandra McCracken to the Finding Holy podcast. It's so fun to have her here. I followed her music for, I don't know, 20 years. So it's exciting Mm -hmm. to chat in person. Thanks for being here, Sandra. Thanks so much, Ashley. It's good to meet you across the miles here. Yeah. Wonderful. So I would love if people haven't heard of you or your music or your new book, I'd love for you to just tell us just a little bit about your story, Mm. how you got here. Well, I am from Nashville, Tennessee, originally from Missouri, but I came to Nashville to go to school and started, um, it almost feels like by accident. I kind of came in the back door and made, started making a living doing music and songwriting and singing and and also love hymns and church music, gospel mm-hmm. songs. And so that's been woven throughout my story as a singer-songwriter. And um, it's really the work that I've been doing a little bit at a time for my whole adult life, really, mm-hmm. since college. So, And then this year, I uh, wrote a book called Send Out Your Light, which is part of it is telling some of that story. It's, a, it's reflections on scripture and song. So mm-hmm. it's part devotional and part... Um, 
you know, this was actually an interesting time to do it over this last year. <laughs> Definitely yeah. a time we're all reflecting on why we do what we do. <laughs> For sure. But yeah, so I feel really grateful to be able to do this work. Mm-hmm. One thing I just loved about your book, Send Out Your Light, is you talk a lot about that it's almost like I, I think it was David Taylor in in the in his uh, blurb about your book was just saying it's almost like this midrash of song and hymn and scripture and mm-hmm. it's just it's all really woven together in such beautiful like bite-sized chunks too which is also helpful for those of us who Thank don't you. have a lot of time but as we're thinking through this one thing that just really came to my attention was the ways that scripture is so integrated in, and hymns are so integrated into your life experience. Where did that start? Thank you. I I, I appreciate just hearing those reflections. I, I think when I set out to write, I didn't know what I was doing. I don't feel like a writer. I'm a songwriter, but songwriting is so much more loose and fluid. And there's right. a way of, there's sort of an abstraction in it that's just, mm. I mean, at least in the kind of songwriting I do. But yeah. So having to put words in a longer form, I think the scripture is so much a part of that. It's It's been a part of my songwriting too, mm-hmm. to where um, from even the earliest songs that I recorded in uh, just out of college, they were all, they were singer-songwriter by genre, but then they were laced with scripture and mm-hmm. quotes from hymns and things that I didn't really mean to find their way <laughs> to the songs. Yeah. So I guess some of that happened so early on, like scripture was just, I memorized scripture when I was little. I always loved words and I was really drawn to words. And if you sing something, you can memorize it more easily. Mm -hmm. So I think it just really happened as part of it, part of attraction. Like I was attracted to the words and I was attracted to the life-giving capacity that scripture has. Yeah. It was just so encouraging, I think, because often when we find ourselves, particularly in dark places, which you kind of talk more about in the second section of your book, we can easily think we're so alone and Mm. that we don't, we don't have words right for our pain. And I appreciated the ways in which you were trying to actually give words, right. To some of those dark nights. One thing I would love if you want to just dive into the deep end of the pool um, with me, which is just kind of how I roll. Enneagram four classes. Okay. I was going to guess. That, was, yeah, that right. would be my next question. <laughs> right. Is um, I think, and we both talk about this in both of our books in A Spacious Life. I talk about this invitation, right, to abide with Jesus in our losses and in the limits mm-hmm. that we have on our mm-hmm. calling. So you talk to about being kind of shaped by your sorrows. I love this image you have of Anne Steele and just kind of almost like this cavern is mm. kind of wrought in her soul to hold sorrow. So what have been some of the gifts of your own sorrows? How has that opened you up or how have the limits that you've experienced in your own losses brought you mm. closer to Jesus? Anne Steele is one of my favorite hymn writers. She, um, when I look at her poetry and the writing that she mm-hmm. did in her lifetime, you know, 200 years ago, I mean, there's, you get this sense that she gives us permission. She gives us permission to explore things and to bring all of our sorrows before the Lord, which you first see in the scripture itself, mm-hmm. like in the Psalms. Um, but sometimes we forget that that's okay to do in church. And so for me, I would say uh, maybe, 
maybe there's an inclination there's like a soul shape that we each have so mm-hmm. by personality and even as children there's this we each have a capacity uniquely to hold different uh, different qualities that are part of who God is and so we're and we all need one another to give a full picture like to be one complete picture of the body of Christ and so I guess in this way that's one slice for me that even before I suffered, I had I had some space within me that God had placed this mm-hmm. capacity for mm-hmm. compassion. Mm-hmm. And I don't think it makes me any better or more valuable or anything. I just think it's one of God's attributes. And mm-hmm. so he prints his attributes on us in these ways. Some of it is even like our, you know, we ta- you mentioned the Enneagram. It's like our capacity to survive whatever we experience. Yeah. And then it continues to be refined as we're more and more like him over time. Like, I love the word you're using, abide with abiding in him mm-hmm. there's this like coming alongside and he is forming us to be more like him in these ways of personality mm-hmm. could you walk us through a little bit of some of that season for you when you were working on your psalms album that you mm-hmm. didn't release till a few years later how did yeah. that help you process some of your own loss and mm-hmm. lean into jesus and why the wait too i think i think it was a wise <laughs> wait but that's part of it too there are a lot of good questions in there that Sorry. <laughs> I haven't really thought about in that. And it, yeah, I mean, yeah. just a lot of good reflection that I probably should spend time with before giving a quick answer. But I, I think that some of the weight is just, so I wrote a lot of the songs on the Psalms record and on um, Songs from the Valley. All those were written during the same time period. Yeah. But if you back up just a little bit before that season of like fruitful writing, there was actually a season of like silence. And when I was at the lowest point, I wasn't making, I wasn't making anything. I was just trying to like breathe right. <laughs> and yeah. get my kids to school. And that's about it. And And maybe like feed myself lunch on a good day, you know? Yeah. And during that first period, so I think sometimes in the lowest part of the valley, like in Psalm 23, when it says, you know, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow, I will fear no evil for you are with me. There's this like, this sense of God's presence that you may not even feel at the time, but you're not alone. Mm-hmm. And so that first part there, the it, it really becomes very practical. It's like, yeah, you need to get up and eat an apple. Yeah. You need to try to sleep tonight. You need to do like the most basic things to stay alive. Yeah. And then in a little while, you'll have some songs, you know? <laughs> yeah. And so for me, the songs came a little bit later. So I didn't have to, it wasn't a spiritual discipline to wait. It was literally like, no, I, I have nothing. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and so if you're in that stage, I think there's just this physical grace that's like surrounding you and supporting you. And then the next stage felt, like for me, it transitioned because I played an instrument. So because I played piano, I wasn't ready to sing because singing was too embodied, mm-hmm. but I could play the piano and I could play hymns and I could play things. And sometimes I would play those and that would sort of awaken something else and bring some healing. Mm-hmm. And then pretty soon after that, it was like singing someone else's hymns and singing old hymns and singing Ann Steele songs. Yeah. And then eventually those little my soul finds rest was one of the first ones. And then a song from songs from the Valley called, um, letting go. Those two came almost in tandem, both wrestling with like the restructuring of what you thought home was. So, Mm -hmm. and, and your situation might like whatever the stress points are, they might be completely different circumstances, Mm -hmm. but our human experience during suffering is, is remarkably similar, you know, and we all share this, like we kind of, we all feel it, you know, yeah. in whatever places that we are pressed. Mm-hmm. What helped you press into Jesus instead of just throwing in the towel? Hmm. 
I remember at that time being so grateful for the backstory of scripture memory and a lot of theological study, like studying yeah. worldview, studying what I believe, understanding the nuts and bolts of it, like because I, that would not be the time to go and really study, you know, <laughs> right. does, is God sovereign over our, you know, <laughs> right. you can't study that intellectually in a time where you're, that part of your brain is not really functioning. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not like, I mean, it's still there. It'll come back, but it's not. So I think having an undergirding of theological framework in scripture is so important and our spiritual formation of our communities and of mm-hmm. our young people mm-hmm. at each point of, development is so helpful to have when you do inevitably face um, points of crisis. Mm -hmm. So that doesn't necessarily answer your question of how that, how does that, why did I press in toward Jesus? I think I just realized I didn't have another option. Yeah. Yeah. You don't have anything else. Like, cause if everything you've been leaning on has been pulled out, you have to rely on something. So, and a lot of times that's what that's where all this tremendous growth happens is because you realize that's all you had anyway, right. you know, <laughs> Yeah. and he is your one true provider. And so if it may have been coming by some other means and now that means it's gone, um, he's still the one true provider, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I guess then, but then it's, you're more starkly and <laughs> desperately aware of it. <laughs> For sure. Yes. I mean, even like your own song steadfast has, been yeah I we've sung it in in our church plant back in California and just it provided words for a lot of painful Mm. seasons and loss of our own so thank you Mm. I'm so glad (laughs) we need more people able to share some of yeah, you know, honestly and vulnerably. Pain Can I topic. turn the question back on you too? Sure. With like the core, what has your experience been with the connection between those personal struggles and points of like really feeling stretched and your creative process as mm. a writer or whatever? Is there a time in between or do you write immediately even when you're in a moment of stress? Yeah, it's a good question. I think often I will try to journal a little bit when things are raw to try to capture mm-hmm. some of some of the the visceral kind of pain but I don't really do anything with it for a while my husband's a pastor and he's planted churches and obviously in any form of leadership you're very vulnerable mm-hmm. <laughs> um and so just you know even dealing with church hurt as a leader or being in any you know sense on social media there's you put yourself out there to create something and you're vulnerable I think in my own process where it would be unwise, right, to share unprocessed and unhealed pain for public That's a great, that's a really profound truth. But it's important to share it with people um, or, you know, obviously with God in journaling and prayer and in your faith community, like you're saying. And then maybe it becomes something that's a gift for other people later. Yeah, this is not the book I would have written seven years ago. <laughs> and I'm right. really thankful for that, right? right. It's like you, you have a you have a process and then you have something you want to share. How, I mean, how significant this is, I don't know the answer to this. How, yeah. how do, you, do you think we are in a culture of where oversharing, overextending, too soon sharing is like yeah. kind of a systemic problem in yes. our, in our culture? Yeah, no, I think, I think it is. I think things like prudence are not a very popular mm-hmm. virtue or wisdom. I was just actually asking a question on Twitter earlier today about, you know, what do we do with all the language of abuse and trauma? And yes, we don't want people to be abused. And yes, we need to talk about it. But what do we do with 
just like inexperienced leadership where people hurt people or having to have hard conversations. And if we call everything, you know, abuse or trauma, I'm just worried that then we don't have opportunities to grow. And I think it's the same with this sense of sharing our pain too soon or too quickly might not help other people to heal from their own pain. Yeah, I've had in my last three years of relationship with my husband, Tim, we've been mm-hmm. married three years and it's like one of the biggest gifts I've received from him is is this like differentiation that Sandra, you are not your feelings and mm-hmm. you don't have to live. And and I don't I mean, of course, like that's hard to hear at first, right. but the growth that happens when you realize you don't have to express everything. And of yeah. course, I you know, I tell my children <laughs> that I'm like, yeah. you don't have to express right. everything right. you're having, every right. feeling you're having, every moment that you're having it. Yes, <laughs> so, yes. Which oh. is. Those, yeah. those are good words. I love it. That happened a few years to me too, where I think I was realizing, am I getting healthier or like, am I numb? Like I can't yeah. tell the difference between oh, this is better or worse. I, I think I'm getting healthier in that I'm realizing I don't have to like go into the whole of the feeling mm-hmm. vortex. I think that's good. But sometimes yeah. it's like, but then who am I? Yeah. Are you looking for something that's going to help you connect the dots between what you say you believe and how you live? Well, I've created pocket practices just for you. They are about 50 spiritual formation practices that you can take anywhere and you can get them free for a limited time. When you pre-order a copy of A Spacious Life, head on over to aspacious.life, enter in your email and you will get those pocket practices as a free download anytime between now and September 13th. This episode is brought to you in part by Beyond Ordinary Women Ministries, which prepares Christian women for leadership. At Bow, we believe that every woman is a leader because she influences someone. So whom do you influence? Do you mentor a woman, serve in the workplace, Or do you lead a small group, teach the Bible, or even lead an entire ministry? No matter who or how many you influence, our free online resources will help equip you. Our videos, podcast episodes, and articles from experienced women leaders will encourage you and perfect your leadership skills. They offer wisdom for dealing with ministry pitfalls, current biblical issues, health for your own soul, and insights for shepherding others well. In addition, BOW offers Bible studies designed to connect women of multiple generations. They provide a challenge to both women new to the Bible and those wanting to dig deeper. Be our guest and browse all of our free resources and low-cost Bible studies at beyondordinarywomen.org. Where have you, we'll just pivot a little bit. Um, I've, I'm offering folks just a free little quiz on my website about their hustle habits. And the reason I think it's important, right, is we all default to really often unhealthy coping mechanisms because of sin in the world and then, you know, twisted around our hearts. Um, so when you hit a limit, whether that's relationally or in your career or, you know, in your artistic work, we can tend to do one of four things, right? We can tend to blame other people or our circumstances. We can fall into shame. We can ignore our limits, either 
by just like distracting ourselves or kind of shutting down. And then we can also try to control our limits. So which of those hustle habits do do you find yourself going to? (laughs) Yeah, I I think my, uh, well, I can relate to all of them and I think I try out all of all of them at different times probably the one that creeps up the most is the shame piece and you know Kurt Thompson Brene Brown like there's there's some writers and other voices that have really helped like to put a name to that more often but um I think that one is the one that causes me to shut down a little bit like when I hit a limit and I think it's probably my fault it's probably something that I did and that's where I go. And then you begin to, um, it, it just, I think that then the feeling of helplessness is what sinks in after that. There can still be ways of, you know, playing at these other things like control or trying to make a false piece or something that you're doing in addition to that. But I think the primary one there for me is the shame. shame. What do you find yourself when you're in that like vortex? How do you get out? Mm, I call it the pit. It reminds me of like Winnie the Pooh and the lumps and it's like, but it's also described that way, like in Psalm 40 and other places where it's like, you know, I'm in a pit. And the, the helpful thing about naming that for me Mm. in that image is that you cannot actually get yourself out of a pit. You really need to be rescued from it. And it's also there's still an open sky above you. You just are down in a (laughs) hole, you know? Yeah. So I think it, it, even those, two, you know, just the visual of that, I think, mm-hmm. and then able to pray forward and to pray like, God, you need, I need to get out of the pit. And, mm-hmm. and it can even happen relationally, like with, you know, with a close relationship, you, you can end up feeling like you're both in the pit. And then, th- and then there's like a battle within the pit, but you're just isolated. Yeah. So being brought out of the pit and you're not gonna be able to claw your way out. So you need to ask for God to rescue you from it. And yeah. he's faithful to do that. Sometimes it takes 10 minutes. Sometimes it takes a while, you right. know, yeah. a long stretch. But I think, I think acknowledging and, and understanding the moment you're in is, is a, the beginning of it. And Psalms, a lot of the Psalms address that and give mm-hmm. specific language to help mm-hmm. name that. Yeah, I think that's great. You know, there's so many Psalms, like you're mentioning Psalm 40 as a companion, right? To mm-hmm. <laughs> those, those pit-like moments, if you find yes. yourself stuck stuck down there because I think sometimes we just want you know we want the quick fix or we want like what's the principle in scripture to lift me out what are my three quick steps <laughs> yeah. but I think you know a companion in those pits that's good yeah that's true and then they point us to these other images like opposite images so if 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 we have this experience of I waited patiently for the Lord he inclined to me I love that word inclined mm-hmm. heard my cry lifted me up out of the pit and then uh, he placed my feet on a rock. So then this count, counter image, which I may not feel like, but when I hear that spoken mm-hmm. or when I read it, it's like, oh yeah, there's a rock and my feet are set on the rock. And you begin to visualize. And this is where imagination is like really important in our spiritual mm-hmm. understanding. Mm-hmm. Like it's imagination is not just for Disneyland. Okay. It is the sense that we need to pull ourselves by these words, by God's spirit, from the image of the pit to the image of the rock and mm-hmm. being set high on a rock and Mm -hmm. then you know it's like you're it's this is not self-help or exactly like what you're saying it's not it's not like there are a few steps but it is something I've seen over and over the way Mm -hmm. that the spirit works Mm -hmm. and I love how you talked about I forget which song of yours 
it was, but you, you write about it in, in your book about one of your friends who was helping you, you know, either with oh, melody yeah. or something, right. It's just like that you had said your feet were tired and he's like, no, yeah. like if this is a gospel song, it's your vision is where you're going, right. That your feet yeah. are sure. Yeah. That was Thad Cockrell. And he was yeah. talking about the spirituals and he's like, yeah. the nature of the spirituals is that they, they don't sing about where they are in the moment. They sing about where they're going. And they're, mm -hmm. that is how they literally survive and carry themselves to to sing ourselves forward yeah which i think really kind of loops back to some of our early conversation about you know how we share on social media or you know yeah. kind of sharing about our pain too early too is what's you know what's our vision right are we yeah. you know are we just like only singing songs when we're you know yeah. in pits of despair or are we headed somewhere else there's something to that. And I, and I, in the interplay between that and social media, I had a pastor friend that talked about the, you know, that halt H A L T. Like mm -hmm. if you're hungry, angry, lonely, or tired, yeah. if you feel the impulse to post a long Instagram post or whatever, it's going right. to be right. probably don't do it. Like right. pa pause halt. And, and if one of these things is going on, just wait. I mean, you could save it as a draft whatever, but right. So much of what is put forward is impulsive, you know, in the moment processing. And that's not, that's not always a bad thing. It's not a bad thing in and of itself, but I think maturity looks like there could be some refinement of that initial journal entry and it doesn't mm -hmm. have to be a public entry, you right. know, <laughs> right. right. I like how you were saying, you know, yeah. you journal things right, to help process the, the raw emotion. Right. Yeah. And then I even had a friend who was like, she was like, can I just send you what I would wish I could tweet right now? And I was yes, like, yes, that's right. Yeah. They shouldn't be public. <laughs> Pri hashtag private tweets. Right. You know? yeah. Stuff you would it. say to someone yeah, that yeah. is maybe have a close close friend that you could vent. Something yes, like that. yes. Well, I would love to, to talk with you just a little bit about what is your, how is your artistic process differ maybe from songwriting and this long form book writing, mm -hmm. or I know you also write for Christianity Today. Many listeners might not be musicians. So what does mm -hmm. that look like? And how are those creative yeah. processes similar and different? Well, I do, I don't consider myself an artist and I, but I I do want to affirm that all of us have this creative voice. We all have like a creative impulse even if you're not a writer or a songwriter. Yeah. The things we talked about before like the way we take in worldview and scripture and theology, it comes out in vocation regardless of what your vocation is. Mm -hmm. So if I'm applying it and I think even within the creative space like applying it to songs or applying it to an, an article or applying it to a book, in a sense you're using the same muscles. But it still feels like a new experience because all the rules are different, you know, mm, and yeah. you have to kind of apply it to a different set of rules. But I, I, one of the biggest defining parts of the book writing process is just an overwhelming amount of self-doubt, like just for sure. not liking <laughs> what I'm writing, not sure why I'm doing this in the first place, not sure why anyone would want to read this. I mean, that stuff is there. And when I right. turned in my, I've had this great supportive team at B&H and they were so funny when I turned in the final or almost final draft or something and I told them I was like I'm still feeling like a lot of self-doubt you guys and one of the guys I worked with he was like whenever that stops just let us know because so far everyone like no one really gets over this yeah sense of self-doubt and I guess that's um I think that can be in a sense like what Paul describes and I'm making light of it but it can sometimes be debilitating if you're like yeah. I, you know, I don't know why I'm doing this. And so Paul describes like the thorn in his flesh that I would know that you, that yeah. Christ is sufficient for me and his power is made perfect in my weakness. 
And that's been, you know, a theme through this entire process where I've been doing songs and recordings and production for 20 years. And that feels just more, I've had more practice. So I know, I know when to, you know, when I should stop singing and go get a milkshake, but with, you know what I mean? (laughs) Because like, this is not going to get better. This is going to get worse unless I go, you know, do something else for a minute. But with book writing, I don't know those tricks yet. Right. So it's just always like a little bit of a guessing. It's a, a new experience. Mm -hmm. And I think that there's joy in that too, because there's some sense of like, keep pushing yourself to push past limits that we, we Mm -hmm. need to grow through. So Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. anyway, so it's a little bit of both. Yeah, no, I get it. When you are composing songs, is it usually the words first that come or the melody? For the most part, they're pretty closely linked. I'm inspired by words like we've been talking about. I think that's what sparks for me. Mm-hmm. But I do think that the melody is kind of inherently connected to it. So there have been sometimes a handful of times I've done projects that are just instrumental pieces or melody driven. But mm-hmm. most of the time, the words and the melody feel like they couldn't, you wouldn't want to break them apart. And yeah. so they form kind of at the same time. Did the writing of the book help create any new songs? Yeah, I think so. Although it's hard to say because a lot of the writing, I had started the process in the end of 2019 and said, yes, I'm going to do this and set out to work on it. And then it was, so it was October 2019. And then I fumbled and flailed for, I don't know, some time. And so August of 2020, which of course was like this quiet, strange, (laughs) great pause in everyone's lives. In that, in that August of 2020, I I had a restart and some renewal, totally new outline and kind of started from there. So Mm -hmm. the writing was overlaid with the pandemic. So it's, it's kind of hard to know if songs came in and out. I, I kind of feel like I had to put songs on pause to some right. degree yeah, so that I could work on the book, but that wasn't intentional as much as it was also part of just pandemic life. Right. Everything was on pause and everyone yes. was dealing with collective trauma. There was yeah. Yeah, a lot going on. And things are seasonal. I think even, even the song, I don't, I, some songwriters get up and write a song every day. I, I don't find that structure to be that helpful or inspiring. Mm-hmm. I think it's more like seasonal and um, Mm -hmm. less programmed. Yeah. As you're looking forward kind of to the fall, I'm assuming your your older two children will be in school, hopefully, Mm -hmm. (laughs) not home from school. Yeah. We'll see what the the coronavirus does. But how have, as you look forward to maybe a little bit more solitude that way, um, you talk a bit about solitude offering some clarity on our boundaries. Mm -hmm. Um, And you talk, um, one of my favorite psalms and um, that psalm 16 right that that boundary lines have fallen mm-hmm. for me in pleasant places where do you see kind of maybe your boundary lines of your next season shifting or growing or expanding as you look forward to this next season yeah that's a good question they they have the my older two have just started school and then I have a younger one that's at home so there's you know I think I'm realizing now that there's just one transition after another as far as where those lines are and what it means to make, to carve out the time for solitude. Mm -hmm. Um, And it is something that you, that it will get squeezed out so quickly. There's just, it's remarkable. So a helpful image when I think of boundaries is, is really the coastline like that. You're saying the boundary lines have fallen Mm -hmm. for me in pleasant places. I also think of like, if you're trying to walk on, on the edge of the shore between the sand and the ocean, 
even if you were to walk in a straight line along that boundary and kind of mark the boundary, it's not an iron fence. It's actually moving and it's constantly, the tide is coming in. So it's the water gets a little deeper. And, you know, in that analogy, I think that's what it feels like. It feels like you're trying to sort of hold a line or a trajectory along the coast, along Mm -hmm. the sand and the water, and you're not trying to get too deep into the abstract abyss of the ocean. And you're also not trying to get too bogged down in the sand. And, um, and I think, but I think just, you know, trying to hold that line and letting it move a little bit and being attentive to it and really knowing that that is God's, like he's pulling at all these things in tandem with our, responses you know Mm -hmm. so it's it's more organic I think than static yeah I think that's really important it's a beautiful image to keep with us because I think we often feel that you know that tension yeah and I think having good artists and good preachers have good images right to help us hold on to like make sense Mm -hmm. of all of the churning either inside or or outside of ourselves so thank you for Mm -hmm. that yeah, it would probably be a, a, a cool, like, uh, contemplative exercise to think of, have everybody think about, like, everyone might have a different image of what a boundary looks like, and for different seasons, like, mm-hmm. you know, there's sometimes, like, if you have somebody who's been in an abusive situation, or like you said, this had trauma, and they might need to build an iron fence from something, right. yeah. and other people might need to, you know, experience a boundary as, like, like the sand, what are the, um, like, you know, the area where the sand and it's like these big marshy swampy um it's between the ocean and the land but it's further in right and they might need something a little higher and a little bit more of like a berm and yeah i guess that's a it's a great question to think about though because we're all going to experience the the boundaries are important it's like the way god separates dark from light and Mm -hmm. he separates day from night and he's always doing that in a new way Mm -hmm. each day it's like okay he's creating order out of chaos and um and I, and I, I think continuing in a dialogue with him about it so that we don't get stuck just thinking it has to be one way and, yeah. and we have to follow a certain set of rules. I think that's really helpful. It's just in all of our conversations to think about that these are really fluid and seasonal things as well. And that like we, we figure out what these boundaries are right in communication with the spirit of God and not just yeah. like this, you know, because often our boundaries that we erect are, you know, can be self-protective so we can heal, but they can also be self-protective yeah. so we can hide. Yeah. Well, I wish we could chat forever and maybe, <laughs> maybe one day so we can. Fun. Thanks, Ashley. <laughs> um, but I would love to hear your laundry routine because we, um, okay. I wasn't going to ask this question this season, but then my literary agent, he's like, you have to ask the question that you always ask the question about your, our laundry. And so the reason I asked this question really kind of comes from Kathleen Norris about the ways in which um, we meet God, not just, you know, on mountaintops, but it, mm-hmm. the substance of our days and in the mundane as well as the spectacular. So I do love to hear everybody's laundry routine as a as a way mm-hmm. into knowing people. So Sandra, what's your laundry routine look like? Hmm. That's a fun question. And I guess the short answer would be, we are learning and training everyone to have their own laundry basket. Nice. Mm-hmm. So that's the, that's the practice, except for the two-year-old, you know. Right. <laughs> but I think. Maybe that, he'll think, get into it. He can lift he, it up. And yeah. Oh, he would love to, he would love to help. He pushes yeah. all the buttons and turns it off when it's yeah. in the middle of the soap cycle. <laughs> yeah. Frequently. Cause it sings to him, you know, yeah. but, yeah. Um, but yeah, I think, I think that is one of the, 
having separate baskets and letting everyone try to take care of their own. I think that's what, that's our work in, in our family dynamic. Yes. yes. So I hear that. Yes. We, we recently, since we recently moved to bought new laundry baskets and I am trying to yeah, get the kids to stay on top of it and not simply rewash the clean laundry that's just sat in the laundry <laughs> basket next time I tell them they need they got, yeah, it. Yeah. It's trying to do smell. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, wait, it's been in there for three days. Right. Yeah, it's fine. <laughs> Instead of putting away your laundry. Run it again. Yeah, that's the challenge. Well, thank you, Sandra. Thank you. It's been a joy to speak with you. And thank you for your music and your words. They have ministered to countless people, so including me. Thanks so Thanks. much. Appreciate it, Ashley. You're welcome. Friends, I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Sandra McCracken. Her book, Send Out Your Light, will be available soon, so go ahead and grab one at the link in the show notes. Sandra kindly endorsed my book. She writes, From Limitations to Flourishing, Ashley Hales takes us by the hand and walks us forward into a new freedom that is really an old freedom. She offers the good news that the good life is not what we expected, but it's right here in front of us, waiting between the boundary lines of our limitations. A spacious life is a welcoming invitation to consider that a smaller life means bigger love. It was such an honor to talk with her, and I hope as we consider today what our one small step is, that you will be encouraged. This season, we're offering pocket practices as a way into our small steps forward from these conversations, and pocket practices are small enough to keep in your pocket their spiritual formation practices that help connect the dots between things that matter and the spacious life that we crave and our actual everyday holy lives. And I'm going to take one little clue from my conversation with Sandra and even that little blurb about a spacious life talking about the boundary lines of our limitations. Psalm 16, which we talked about in our conversation, says his lines or his boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. And I think it's an important practice to meditate on that verse. Maybe you write it in your journal or a sticky note or a dry erase marker on your bathroom mirror. What does it look like that his lines have fallen for you in pleasant places? I loved that image of the ocean shore that Sandra offered to us in our conversation. So I'm going to encourage you when you stop play on this podcast to set your timer on your iPhone for five minutes and simply practice a boundary line of solitude and stillness and silence before God and ask that the Holy Spirit would show you what your boundary line looks like. Maybe the ocean is coming in and you need to step back for a season. Maybe you're finding you're walking that tightrope between sand and sea and you need God and his presence to guide you. Maybe you find yourself going through a particular hard season of trauma or pain or grief and you need to have a very kind of iron fence like Sandra was talking about. I'd encourage you to meditate on that verse. His lines have fallen for me in pleasant places because No matter what season we find ourselves, whether it's grief or pain or loss, we know that the kindness of Jesus accompanies us. And even still, even when the way is dark and our valleys feel unfathomably deep, we know we have a rescuer and someone who is there with us. Because we have Jesus, our man of sorrows 
who went through deep valleys and dark valleys as well. Friends, it is an honor to walk beside you in this season as we consider how our limits might actually lead to flourishing. And I want to encourage you to experience that same sense of spaciousness. So go ahead and please pre-order my book, A Spacious Life. It is to a kind companion to these dark nights of the soul that we've been talking about. You can find all the details for that book at aspacious.life. When you're at aspacious.life, you can take the hustle habit quiz, get a roadmap to help you through those hustle habits. You can pre-order a copy of my book. And when you do, I am so excited to be able to offer you those pocket practices for free. There'll be a PDF download that'll get directly in your inbox. So I hope that you will find a more spacious place as you walk with Jesus through your own dark nights and dark valleys. You can find out more at aspacious.life. Friends, thank you for being here. It is an honor. May you experience the kindness of Jesus as he shows you where your lines and boundary lines lay. Remember, friends, these big things matter, but so does the laundry. This episode was brought to you in part by the Lord of Spirits podcast. Many Christians yearn to break free of the influence of secular materialism and to understand the union of the seen and unseen worlds as made by God. What is the spiritual world like? Tune in wherever you get your podcasts.